World's Finest Podcast, Episode 26. host james doe and with me as always is michael david sims hello sir how are you um is it, would it be redundant of me to just say tired yeah <laughs> yeah pretty much so <laughs> but i mean you you know you feel the same way i'm sure with oh absolutely i mean as as i was saying to you off the air uh last night i wanted to go to bed around about two in the morning after i finished recording uh earth did not Net, the show episode 205 Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I was shooting more towards like one thirty, but I figured two was a safe bet. Now I didn't go to bed till five thirty in the morning, and I was supposed to be up at seven something. Well, that didn't happen. I ended up sleeping till nine. I had to go into work an hour late, so uh, and I'm still bush because I have a ton of stuff to do for Earth2.net tomorrow. I still have to do it after we're done with this recording. So, yay! Yeah, Let's sleep. <laughs> <laughs> No sleep. Yeah, no sleep for real. I've been up since five this morning, and I have a Spanish PowerPoint presentation due in class tomorrow. Uh, but uh, you know what? Screw it. I want to do the, the podcast. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> basically yeah. what I said. Yeah, whenever whenever I'm feeling tired, you know, and I sit down to do an episode of World's Finest with you or uh, Earth Two the Show with Jenny or Des, it just I just perk up. There's just, you know, we, we get into it and our energy just starts flowing and we start vibing off each other and I just can't help but get excited. And then all of that just sort of uh, grogginess just sort of like washes away after a real short while. It's it's a real weird phenomenon of, of producing a, a podcast like like this one and like Earth to Net the show. I guess. Should we get to emails? Yeah. I mean, I hate to cut our kind of chit chat short, but we have a lot of emails to get through. Yep. We really do. So let's just get right into them. Okay, first one today is from Bruce, who writes, Hey guys, I'm a fan since episode 20. Love your show. Just a question. When are you guys going to review Batman Beyond Return of the Joker? Uh, um, not soon enough. Yeah, yeah, that's still a ways <laughs> off. Um, mm-hmm, sadly. Yeah, you're looking at at least a year before we get to that one. Don't hold me to the number, but it's going to be roundabout episode 47. Um so, yeah, this is 26, and we only do one every other week. So, yeah, you're looking at a little over a year. Or thereabout. Thereabout. Well, mm-hmm. under a year. It, a little under a year, actually. Pardon me, yeah. Yeah, it just depends on how the episodes fall. Yeah, my math, not so good. <laughs> <laughs> yours, if yours isn't good, mine is atrocious. <laughs> okay, uh, next email is from Samuel, who writes, Hey, guys, love the show. Tell James he's a great detective. What's that um, reference to? Do you remember? I'm not exactly sure. Um, Samuel, please, please follow up with, on your email with this and let me know what that means. I, I appreciate the compliment though. <laughs> uh, I've gone back and watched every Superman show. The question I wonder is why is there not a Green Lantern Corps show, cartoon show with either Hal Jordan or Jon Stewart? Uh, that's a good question. I, it really is because they could, with all the other spinoffs and things they've had, they could easily do a Green Lantern show, I would think. Yeah, I mean, and, and just think about how large the Green Lantern Corps is. I mean, you could, it could focus on Hale, Kyle, John, oh my god, Guy Gardner, 
Oh, Guy Gardner. You know, I mean, have one of them, have one or two of them be the lead, um, and but then do it Justice League style, where you need to bring in different Green Lanterns for... Kilowog, Kilowog, Kilowog. Kilowog, yeah. You know, there's Nort, you know, bring him in. There, there's so many different Green Lanterns they can bring in for special missions that it would play a lot like Justice League, just almost always in outer space. I mean, sure, they could do the occasional Earth episode, but it should, for the most part, always be in, in deep space. I mean, that would be wild. I would love for the the the, the Bruce Tim crew to get back together again and, uh, yeah, do a GL cartoon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My, my, my hopes are getting up, but I, I know it's never going to happen, but, yeah. Oh, oh. You got my hopes up, you sons of guns. <laughs> Our next email is from Nate, who writes, Hey, Mike, just wondering if World's Finest Podcast, Earth2.net, the show, etc., is your full-time job. I was just confused because you always talk about Earth2, and James always talks about the supermarket he works at. Earth2.net takes up a lot of my time, and I don't say that to, to, to garner sympathy or anything like that. And I, if I didn't enjoy what I did with Earth2.net, I, I would stop doing it. But, uh, no, I, I love it, and... Um, I've said it before on Earth Student at the show. It literally does eat up at least 40 hours a week of my time. Um, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I, I, I love doing it. Um, it does get tiring though. I mean, just a few minutes ago, I was kind of lamenting the fact that after we're done recording this episode of world's finest, there's a lot of work I have to do. That's probably going to keep me up till four or five in the morning. That's just how it is sometimes. Okay. Next email. Let's see. Here is from Tyler who writes, Hey Mike. Hey James. It's Tyler again. First off, let me say kick ass on your last podcast. I really enjoyed re- your review of Mixie's Pixelated as well as your ideas on what storylines you were interested in seeing in the DC series. The new Spidey series kicks ass, Mike. Yes, it does. I'm very interested in reading the nail that Mike mentioned. Uh, is it difficult to find in trade paperback? No, I mean, it's it's real easy to find. I mean, you could find it uh, in any bookstore or really, you know, there's a little website called InStockTrades.com where you can save at least 37% off trade paperbacks and graphic novels. <clears throat> oh, sorry. Where'd that come from? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's real easy to find. It was three issue, three issue prestige format miniseries. Um, definitely, I recommend getting it. Definitely. Okay. He continues, uh, let me say to the tease about the Batman 89 podcast has got me super pumped because when I hear your gripes, I, I defend my quote unquote beloved Batman 1989 to the death. Uh, help me out, help, help me out on that, James. Uh, no. I, rec- I, I recuse myself. <laughs> a note I'd like to mention is that I'm very pleased, uh, you guys thought about, thought Brainiac attacks blue donkey balls. Oh yeah. Well, see, that's the thing. I haven't even seen it yet, but, I can already tell that I, that it's it's yeah it blew donkey balls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, count on that uh, appearing in the uh, Tranquil Tirades uh, seg- uh, series somewhere down the line. Nice. Um, let me agree by saying it stinks. I also recently listened to your final BTAS podcast in which you two dropped some pretty big bombshells in my eyes. James seems to think that the Joker was portrayed the worst in BTAS, and Mike believes that my quote-unquote beloved Batman 1989 led the path to happy-go-lucky Schumacher land that is Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Yeah, no, no, no. There's no Mike believes it. There's That's the way it is. That's frankly the way it is. <laughs> Look at all the freaking camp in the first two Burton Batman Mills Mills films. Just look at it. It's camp, camp, camp. Yeah, it's dark, blah, blah, blah. But there is a ton of camp in that. 
And then look at what Schumacher did. He was just following the the trend that that what's the Burton set for him. That's all he did. He just dropped the darkness. That's all. That's all. <laughs> I do have a few questions for you guys. Which villain throughout the DCAU was portrayed the best and the worst in your eyes? I better not hear the Joker, James. <laughs> um, no, it it wasn't the Joker because once World's Finest hits, he he just kicks ass on every imaginable level. Um, for villains who I think were portrayed the best, uh, three immediately spring to mind. Lex Luthor, Darkseid, and Slade. Mm. With an honorable mention to Brainiac. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as worst, probably Parasite to this point, um, but I wasn't exactly enamored with uh, Poison Ivy or the post-Heart of Ice Mr. Freeze appearances. Let's see. I'm going to say for best... Obviously, Luthor, Brainiac, Darkseid, they're all there. But I'm going to actually not say them. I'm going to go with uh, Amanda Waller. Good choice. I really like what they did with her because she wasn't really a villain. Everything she, like, she was an antagonist, but everything she did, she truly thought she was right. You know, and that makes a great villain. When that villain honestly believes that they're right. Um... And she has a point. You know, it's not just she believes she was right. She really does have a point. Um, and it sets her up to be this great antagonist for the Justice League there. So i got to go with her. Uh, for the worst? Man, I don't know. Um, the Clock King? <laughs> yeah, I... Well, yeah. I don't know. It's he only appears what three times in the entire DCAU, maybe got, four. Well, he's got two times in Batman, and then he's back up in Justice League in the Task Force X episode. Yeah, um, there might be one other time I can't remember. I do like him in the Task Force. I can't say that Task Force, Force X. X. <laughs> I just want to say Suicide Squad. Um, yeah, really. <laughs> but yeah, he's good in there. But I didn't. I wasn't crazy about him in his Batman appearances. But I don't know if it's fair to call him the worst. Um. That's a really tough question, because I don't think there were any that were really... No, Livewire. What am I talking about? Livewire. <laughs> yeah, that's true, because they created her, so yeah. we can say that she was portrayed terribly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Forget forget Clock King. He's a genius compared to Livewire. Christ. I, I stick with Parasite for now, because the way they... Because, like I've said so many times, there's absolutely no consistency to the character whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. You know what? We should readdress this down the line as we're as a uh, world's finest podcast is coming to a close and we've had a chance to reevaluate all the episodes all the villains all the heroes we should really definitely come back to this question mm-hmm. because i haven't seen a lot of batman beyond there's some episodes of justice league um i've only seen kind of in passing so there's a lot i'm not familiar with for christ's sakes there's maybe something in static shock or the zeta project that uh will say yeah. was the best or the worst. I don't know. So, yeah, yeah, definitely as we're coming to a close, we'll come back to this one. Okay. Uh, his next question is, what did you guys think of the Justice miniseries? I'm assuming he means the uh, uh, Alex was Alex Ross uh, trade paperback or trade, yeah. trades. <clears throat> yeah, the 12-issue the uh, maxi. Right. That's what I'm thinking he means. Um, I like I, – see, I've read the first uh, two volumes. I have not read the third one yet, so I – I have to uh, just wait. And I, I So far, I love what I've read. And the artwork is, of course, stunning. Um, 
What about you, Mike? Have you read it all no, yet? I haven't at all. Um, I did see... <clears throat> I'm trying to think. I know I flipped through the first issue. Definitely liked the art. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I just... I could, I, at the time that it was coming out, I just couldn't afford it. And, you know, they put it out in hardcover first. So I'm waiting for the trade paperbacks to come out. And then I'll grab the first one. And that will uh, help me decide if I'm going to get the second and third trade paperbacks. Um, yeah. Okay. And so I, I definitely do want to read it. Just as, uh, like I said, I just, I just can't afford it. Yeah. Okay. And his final question is, who would you guys cast in a new Nolan Batman movie as the Riddler? Um, I guess my two would be either Crispin Glover or David Hyde Pierce. Ooh, those are awesome. Ooh, 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 ooh. Wow, because I, I really wanted Crispin Glover as the Joker. Hmm. I really did. And then that's no slight against Heath Ledger. I can't wait right. to see what he's going to do with that role. But Crispin was like my first thought when they, you know, when it came out that there might be the Joker in the film. Um, but for the Riddler, those are good. Um, my picks, the first one I thought of was Edward Norton, but he's playing Bruce Banner in the new Incredible Hulk film. So he's out. Um, then I thought of, uh, pardon if I butcher his last name, cause I can never say it right. Christopher Eccleston, uh, the ninth doctor who, uh, mm-hmm. most people a lot, or would really know him as the, uh, kind of the, the lead villain in, uh, 28 days later. But I, I, cause he's, he's tall and he's lanky like the Riddler should be. And if you watch his first appearance as doctor who, he's a little bouncy, and that's that's the way the the Riddler should be. But um, I, I, ultimately, I'm going to go with Michael C. Hall, the guy who plays Dexter on that Showtime TV series. He oh, right, was, right. Yeah, he was uh, David Fisher in Six Feet Under. Uh, he doesn't quite have the right build, but he can play that smart, menacing character um, better than almost anyone else out there right now, I think. So definitely, he's my pick uh, as the Riddler. Um and I, I, you know, I could really see the Riddler translating well to the screen under uh, under uh, Nolan's vision. I think. Oh yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And uh, I will, I will silently hope for it someday. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so Tyler wraps up his email. Will Mike and James agree with all Tyler's ideas? Has no. Mike lost his mind when it comes to the Batman movies? Will James change his mind on Brainiac attacks? Find out next time, same bat time, same bat cast, your fan Tyler. And the answer to all three questions is no. (laughs) But thank you for your email, Tyler. We appreciate it. Okay, next one is from Gary, who writes, I'm speechless to why the Kids WB is going away. Also, I think the spectacular Spider-Man cartoon might be moved to the JetX time block because they're currently showing the 1990s Spider-Man cartoon. That's just a hunch. So I guess they're getting everyone ready for the new Spider-Man cartoon. One more thing. Have you and or James ever considered going to Comic-Con in San Diego, California? You guys rock, Gary. Uh, I would love to, but there's the whole issue of me uh, having absolutely no time to do it. <laughs> I, I, I have enough problems just, just taking three days off to go to Anime Week in Atlanta every year. Yeah, yeah um, I've actually gone a couple of times. I want to say... I went two times, back-to-back, 01, 02, 2000, 2001, somewhere around there. Um, but I've never done the full thing. I, if, I, if memory serves, 
it starts on a Wednesday with preview night being on Tuesday and then it runs to Sunday. Um, I could be wrong in preview nights on Wednesday with the first night being on Thursday, but I think it's preview Tuesday, Wednesday, first night. Um, but yeah, I usually end up leaving, uh, Saturday morning. Um, so I get, I get to see the con for a couple of days, but I never have done the full weekend just cause it becomes a madhouse and, um, it's no secret that I suffer anxiety attacks and I just can't be around that many people in one crowded space like that. So not to mention the smell. Yeah, I mean... I'm sorry, that's just how it is. It is, it is. I mean, we're not poking fun. Conventions wind up smelling. I mean, the San Diego Comic-Con brings in over 125,000 people a year. And that number is maybe even... I, I, I didn't hear what they brought in last year, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's starting to push 150. You know, and when you get that many people coming in and out of a convention center over just... A few days' time, it's going to start smelling in there, and that that can become overpowering too. Um, it's a great convention. I would highly recommend people going for like even just two days. Um, and I would say, take, you know, spend a couple of days in San Diego, but uh, because San Diego is a great city, the, the zoo is wonderful, the weather is beautiful. There's a lot of uh, great food to eat out there, and then, like I said, just take a day or two to actually do the convention itself. Um, I'd love to go back, but for me, it simply boils down to money. Shoot, I'd love to go to Wizard World Chicago or something. Uh, you got to just... come into town for one, man. They're great. It'd be nice to, you know, actually finally meet you. <laughs> I yeah, think that's something I know. a lot of listeners don't know is, you know, we've <laughs> known each other for several years now, um, and we've we've never met face to face. It's it's quite sad. Uh, <laughs> Very strange. It is. It is. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to meet sometime soon. Oh, I'm sure. Or something. So yeah. Anyways, what were you discussing? Emails. <laughs> yeah. How about that? Uh, our next email is from Dimitri, who writes, "Hello again. I've started to watch. Uh, I've started to watch for how many people know Batman's true identity. In most cases, it's justified, but very often he just seems to reveal it to anybody. For example, in Static Shock's episode, Hard as Nails." Uh, Alfred meets Static as Bruce Wayne's butler right after they meet in the Batcave. Um, also, I have a little request. After 1999, due to impairment, I wasn't able to clearly notice how the DCAU characters look. And after 2006, I lost all of my vision. On worldsfinestpodcast.com, could you try to describe the characters? I was lucky at, uh, to know how the characters look in BTAS, but especially with JLU, I'm lost on what the different superheroes look like. Stay well, and we're wait, wait, uh, waiting for new episodes. P.S. When I was watching Justice League The New Frontier, I, after I heard the name of Carol Ferris, I was expecting her to become the supervillainous Star Sapphire, but that never happened. Yeah, it would have been neat if she became Star Sapphire, but that just would have been an extra element to the story that it just didn't need. If they were to ever do that Green Lantern Corps cartoon, oh, no, I so want one, um, they could definitely bring Carol in as Star Sapphire, but... Yeah, not not in uh, New Frontier. Wouldn't work out like that. Um, as for the describing the characters thing on the website, I think that's a wonderful idea um, for anybody who's visually impaired but has like a text reader. Um, you know, it's a great way for them to still uh, be able to enjoy these cartoons because obviously they can hear them, but they don't know what Desaad looks like, what mm -hmm. Calabac looks like. Um, so I'm going to put a call out to our listeners. If there's any listeners out there who would like to help us in a project like this, email me 
of course, our email address is feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. And we'll start talking about starting up something like this to help um, our listeners who happen to be visually impaired. Okay, next email is from Michael, who writes, Hey, guys, love the show. Okay, the reason that Jor-El is essentially the spitting image of Superman is simple. It's not uncommon for animated TV shows to recycle character models in an effort to save money. Sorry, but as creatively stifling as that sounds, no one can justify that to the network executive the expenditure of creating a character model that will only be used for about 20 minutes out of 1,300. Coincidentally, this is why in many early Simpsons episodes you often see background characters with Bart and Lisa slash Maggie's hairstyles until Matt Groening put the, the kibosh on that around season four. Also, the actress on Smallville's last name is not pronounced Kroik. Instead, it is pronounced Crook. Um, yeah, sorry about that. I figured, like I said, I've never watched Smallville, so... And I'd never heard of the, of the person, so I was just going into German mode there. <laughs> when it comes to the character design of uh, Jor-El happening to look like Kal-El, I understand what you're saying, but I'm not sure I buy it. And there's a couple of reasons why. One, it's not an isolated incident. It's not just something that happens in the cartoon, in the comic books. Kalel looks a lot like his father. They almost look identical, and it's sort of bothersome. I mean, we've written to this rant into the in, in the past, so I won't do it again. The other reason I'm not completely sold on uh, your explanation there is because you're saying that they wouldn't uh, waste the time, money, and resources to create a character that's only going to be used for one episode, uh, or a model that's only going to be used for one episode. And what about Laura? What about Laura's father? You know, they they really don't come back. We only saw them once, maybe twice, if we get them again down the line. So obviously, the time and money and whatnot was spent there. So why not do it with Jor-El? So well, there's plenty of one-shot characters, like in uh, uh, what is it, the Killer Croc episode where he's with the uh, the the troop of Carnival sideshow freaks. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So. You know, it, it's something that the comic. I don't. I'm not, I don't necessarily blame the cartoon for this. It's something the comics established a long time ago, and I don't really agree with it. I think they should look. I mean, there should be similarities, obviously, but they should also be different at the same time. It's like distinguishable. You know, damn it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, if you threw the Superman costume on Jor El, you'd think it was Superman. You know, that's that's not a good thing. And our next one is from Eric, who writes, Hey guys, just wanted to chime in again. You're welcome, Mike, on the backing up of your does Clark eat question. <laughs> I know that Mike already knows about this, but it has to do with the with WFP. The Birds of Prey, the complete series, is coming out on DVD on July 29, 2008, with special features. One of the special features is the entire DCAU webisode series, Gotham Girls. Why is this? I don't know, but I don't care. I just I just want to know when uh, will the Lobo webisodes get the same release on another Batman-related series. Uh, oh, and I enjoyed the Saw films a lot. The first Saw film was kind of weak, but what the series does is it, it gives the audience an opportunity to think during a horror film. Wait, hang Granted, on a second. Hang on a second. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Ha! I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was waiting for you to jump in there. <laughs> um, God, this... It's like I wrote, I wrote in that Saw 4 review with dubs. It's it's just pseudo-substance. There's no... Right. If you look at it with, you know, just just even with a semi-deep look, you can see see the series for all the flaws it has. Right. I mean, um, you know what? If people want to go into it and shut their brain off and just enjoy 
the gore and the, the gritty look to it, that's fine. Do that. But when people start claiming that Saw makes you think and it's, it's, it's a smart film, it is not. If a movie has to recap itself in a three to five minute flashback at the end to show you all the supposed clues, that means it wasn't smart. And that means it doesn't think you're smart. Uh, in the episode Target, I believe the elevator sequence was an homage to the Rich, uh, Richard Lester version of Superman 2, where Lois is in the elevator of the Eiffel Tower, which has a bomb and is speeding towards the top of the tower. Superman then stops it and says to Lois, Lady, I believe this is your floor. Even though the bomb is in the elevator is a nuclear bomb, he still jokes. Uh, in Nick's He's Pixelated, the sound you hear when Lois is transformed into the horse is the sound you hear uh, when the Wonder Twins transformed. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. In response to action figures, I never understood how it is that all the outfits Superman gains, except his Superman costume, are so weak. I mean, the reason Superman's outfit is invincible is because Superman is wearing it. When he wears an outfit, his aura is supposed to make whatever he's wearing as invincible as he is. Actually, it's just because the Superman suit is so thin and uh, tight-fitting is the only reason that one is invincible. Because I believe the... What was it? It's a milliliter, a milliliter, millimeter <laughs> off of his his uh, skin is the, is the same strength as he is. I don't know if that is still part of canon. Um, I believe that's something John Byrne introduced in the uh, Superman reboot in uh, 1986. Um, but I haven't heard it mentioned in the last few years. Um, it would make sense, I guess, because it's the tightest. It's obviously the tightest costume he wears, and because those the lead suit and everything else is just like this big, hulking thing. Right, but someone do write in and let us know if that Superman having this sort of majestic, powerful aura uh, is still part of uh, canon. Because I, I honestly do not know. But it would make sense. It, that makes perfect sense. What what they're saying here, so. In Double Dose, I think the reason why Parasite is so sexual with Livewire is because he's been in jail for a while. Also, after everything that happens in this episode, the Parasite still gets to keep his cable TV. Yeah, yeah. Lastly, I want to ask, on my Superman the Animated Series Volume 2 set, Action Figures is listed as appearing before Mixie's Pixelated. Is this an error by the company, or did you accidentally switch the episodes? No, there's a couple of episodes on their DVDs that they flip around. Remember, we review them by production number. Um, you're going to see that again today. There's two episodes, uh, the first two episodes that we're reviewing today, we're reviewing them in the opposite order that they are on the DVD, but it's the order in which they were produced. Okay, our final email today is from Stuart, who writes, Downhill racing is so very existential is most definitely an homage to Calvin and Hobbes. Hmm. In the strip, Calvin and Hobbes would always go sledding while Calvin would ponder philosophy. This is a jo- oh, this line is a joke on that. Paul Dini, as Calvin jumping out... Uh, for Hobbs or whoever to die is the really funny part, <laughs> which I guess would explain why it's called Deanie the Meanie. Yes. Um, I, I actually have one more email sitting here. We uh, have a listener by the name of Nate, of course. We've mentioned him earlier. And uh, he, he wanted me to uh, mention that his parents own a catering business in Ohio. And he said, hey, can you can you just sort of... You know, advertise for us. So I said, sure, what the hell. So if there's anybody that's in or, in or around the uh, Mason, Ohio area, um, there's a little place called the Barbecue Shack, which you can have do catering for your corporate events, family parties, whatever. Um, it says they serve uh, ribs, pulled pork, 
beef brisket, burgers, hot dogs, potato salad, and coleslaw. Uh, their website is bbqcabin.com. That's bbqcabin.com. And their phone number is 513-459-1999. 513-459-1999. I haven't touched anything but fish in um, going on five years, and I just read what amounts to an advertisement for a barbecue joint. <laughs> so I am Lois Lane, but I am not the Lois you knew. Ever since you... she... died, I've wondered if there were other dimensions out there. Other versions of me... and you. Hold it. I may be a lot like your Lois, but you're nothing like the Superman I know. He's no tyrant. I had to take control. There was no other way. For too long, I fooled myself into thinking I was doing a simple cleanup job. That if I did enough good, people would follow my example. I didn't realize it was a war. And suddenly, you were a casualty of that war. And I knew I had to stop it by whatever means possible. You did this because of me? You never knew how I felt about you. I never knew. Till you were gone. You could have said something. We could have talked about it, figured it out. Now look at you. Married to Luthor. I needed someone with the organization, the technology. But Luthor? He just takes care of the day-to-day -day duties. He knows that if he ever tried anything, I'd crush him. I hate to disillusion you, but he just tried something. He tried to kill me. First up today is A Brave New Metropolis. Um, in this episode, Lois, Jimmy, and, and uh, Neil Hamilton are all at Star Labs, and... Hamilton has built some kind of uh, Kryptonian portal generator um, with a technology ha he has at his disposal, and Lois accidentally gets sucked into another dimension. Uh, in this dimension, uh, Lois is still in Star Labs in, uh, in Metropolis, but this version of Star Labs is completely abandoned. It's just rotting away. It's decrepit. It's been probably abandoned for God knows how many years. Um, and Lois, of course, is just bewildered. She doesn't know where she is. Uh, she leaves and starts walking through the empty streets of this other world in Metropolis, and she sees a bust of Superman and Luthor uh, with the phrase, the men who save Metropolis below it. Naturally, she's wondering what the hell is going on. So, uh, But then Turpin, dressed in an outfit that would really make the Gestapo proud, uh, <laughs> yeah. walks up and demands to see... Uh, an ID because there are curfew laws in this uh, this uh, otherworldly metropolis. Uh, thankfully for Lois, uh, some street toughs cause uh, an explosion nearby, which distracts Turpin and causes him to run towards the scene. Uh, after this happens, Superman shows up, uh, you know, dressed in basically what amounts to uh, Nazi regalia, just without the swastika or anything on it. Yeah, he's dressed. It's all black. He's got a a red lightning S design on his chest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it's very much an SS looking uh, costume, um, and he stops them in a very violent manner. Uh, as Jimmy Olsen, who is part of this gang, uh, somehow escapes and he bumps into Lois, and then and Olsen is just shocked as hell because apparently in this dimension Lois Lane is dead. Uh, and they, you know, they walk through the streets, you know, basically keeping out of any kind of light so nobody sees them. 
uh, and Olson just starts explaining to Lois, uh, you know, what what happened to Metropolis and why everything is like it is. Um, and they get back to their hideout, and eventually the uh, the Metropolis Gestapo busts in and arrests everybody. You know, that's uh, a, I, I got to interrupt you. That is a really great punk rock band name right there. The Metropolis Gestapo. I just got to say. <laughs> yeah, I could just see that listed in one of my local venues mm-hmm. uh, playlists for this summer. <laughs> Absolutely. That's an awesome band name. And if anybody uses it, you owe us money. Or mm-hmm. James, because he's the one that said it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I just uh, donate half to Earth 2, right? <laughs> Leading this... Uh, this charge uh, is, has none other than Mercy Graves, and she sees Lois and is she's shocked too. Uh, so she brings her personally to Lex Luthor, who immediately knows that she's the real deal, and he he just tells Mercy basically to just to offer, uh, but uh, do it out of sight so that uh, Superman doesn't see it. Because if Superman sees Lois Lane alive, there's no telling what he's going to do. Um. Lois manages to escape thanks to uh, a homeless Angela Chin, and uh, she eventually runs up the giant statue of Superman and Luthor. Superman walks up towards her. She holds a gun and says, "I'll fire. I swear I'll fire." And as you know, when the shadows uh, are removed from his face, Lois sees who it is, and she just faints. And Superman is just just awestruck at seeing Lois Lane alive again. So they fly off, and Lois explains that Luthor uh, tried to kill her, and she's just appalled at what's become of Superman, how he's basically a fat, he's just a fascist now. And um, Superman, Lois, and the Resistance group go to stop Luthor in this in this uh, other dimension. Yeah, so that's about it. So, initial thoughts about this one. Uh, immediately, I could tell something was wrong with this animation. Yeah, you know, so, it just something seemed off about it, and I don't really know how to ex- describe it. Really, it's just—I don't know—it's cookie cutter, maybe. I don't know. I, I agree with you one hundred percent. And I listened to the commentary on this one, and Tim and company were all like, "Hey, this is great animation," and I'm like, "Really?" I mean, it's not terrible animation. No, it's not. It's just there's something off about it. Right, and it's it's not easy to put your finger on it. It's just little things. I think it may be that the models are different, really, and they probably didn't have a lot of time to come up with the models. I mean, sure, you're taking the basic idea of Superman, Lois, Turpin, Luthor stays the same, Mercy changes, sort of, but you're tweaking it, and that can throw it off. A little, because now you're asking everybody to draw something that they're not familiar with. So maybe that's it. I don't know. I really don't know. But it is not great animation-wise. Not terrible, but not great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was my first, really right off the bat, because I think where I noticed it first was when Luthor, Luthor when Lois is getting sucked into the portal. That It's, it's right there. I, I'm telling you. Listeners, please go and watch this episode and look at that and tell me there isn't something wrong there. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, getting off the animation, um, I I think okay, I have a, a pretty big question here, really, I think. It, I have to wonder why this alternate reality Superman wouldn't have sought resources from, I don't know, say, Bruce Wayne instead of Lex Frickland Luthor. I just, I just don't understand 
that at all. I mean, granted, at this point, they ha- you know, he hasn't met Batman, but at the very least, he knows Batman is out there. So, and he knows other heroes, like the Flash is out there. So why didn't he go to them for assistance? Why not just automatically, why did he automatically go to Luthor? That is kind of a curious thing and it's just in this one, yeah. And it's like they describe, you know, they say, "Look, I need, I needed somebody with the resources and the, what and the capital, whatever, whatever he says." Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, why not go to uh, somebody who's very, who's widely known as a, a benevolent person who donates to charity all the time, and somebody like Bruce Wayne. But I don't know, maybe that's just me. Yeah. Um. One of the things I do enjoy about this one is the fact that the whole premise of this episode is almost based on that whole uh idea that if you have the the the, the joker thing one bad day can ruin the rest of your life mm-hmm. that's what happened to superman here is he had one bad day lois lane the love of his life died he never got to tell her how he felt about her he lost her forever and in so doing it changed him and literally if not, you know metropolis quite Possibly even the whole world, because there's no way these two would have stopped at Metropolis. Oh, no. You know they had control of the whole world here, and it, it altered everything. I, I really like that idea. Um, that's why I like what if alternate reality stories, because you can just tweak one thing just a little, and it shifts so much. And I think this episode did a good job in that. It showed that if Superman lost his anchor. He might go a little batty. Would he go to Luthor? Maybe not, but he wouldn't be the same character ever again. Oh. And one thing I have to commend this uh, the writers for in here is they actually had somebody in the crowd yell out the word fascist. Oh, did they? I didn't catch that. When uh, is it when he's overlooking when, the uh, holding cell? Is yes, it? that's okay. that's when it happens. Because mm-hmm. all, all I remember is there's a woman down there saying something like, "Give me back my baby." Mm-hmm. Or where's my baby? Because there's a woman who gets her baby's kidnapped, or not kidnapped, but taken from her earlier in the episode. Mm-hmm. And then she's in the holding cell, and at the end she gets the baby back. So I just remember her saying, where's my baby? <laughs> yeah. But, oh, I didn't catch the fascist thing. That's cool. Yeah, it is. It's 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 definitely not something you would expect mm-hmm. from uh, from a, you know, a cartoon like this, you know, yeah. quote-unquote kids cartoon. Right. Um, but speaking of all the, uh, the resistance group, was that John Henry Irons? You know... I was sort of thinking it might be. Um, he looked a little smaller in frame, but he had the same general face. I mean, he was bald like John Henry is, so I, I don't know. I wasn't going to bring it up, but I'm glad you did. Yeah. Because he's seen a couple of times in the episode, isn't he? Or is, it, or is he just seen once? Um, I think it's twice. I want to say he's in the... In the holding cell too, but I don't know. I can't remember uh, for certain. Uh, yeah, I mean that'd be neat if he debuted in an alternate reality episode before he debuted as Steel. Because when does he debut as Steel? Very shortly after World's Finest. I yeah, think. that's what I thought. Okay, cool, very cool. Yeah, I, I don't know. I can't say for sure, but I don't disagree with the fact that it could be. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, um, earlier we were talking about the redesigns and, you know, I love the redesigns here. Just, 
the costumes. Yeah, the way everything oh, yeah. is super sleek, super streamlined. It's these these dark black. Superman's got this really uh, nasty looking S on his chest. I like the brand new uh, LexCorp LexCorp logo because it's the Superman crest but with an L in it. Um, and but it goes beyond the costumes. If you actually look at Superman's face. All they really did was add two slight little lines under his eyes, and they made his eyes a little droopier. And you can tell he's tired, and he's sad, and he doesn't really want any of this, but he doesn't know what else to do. He's truly lost. And that all came from just changing his eyes just a little. Did you pick up on that? Yeah, it's just it's amazing how one little thing, uh, something that seems really minuscule, can just add so much depth to a character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, because if you if you look at it, I'd like to compare this to the face of Superman over in uh, Superman Doomsday, where they needlessly put those lines on the side of his face and under his eyes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that didn't do the character any favors. But here, just again, just two small lines under his eyes told you so much. And it was a needed change. If he still looked like the vibrant Superman, it wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't go along with the story. So... Yeah. yeah, he needs to look ragged, mm-hmm. just definitely. just a little bit. Here's one uh, gripe I have with this episode, uh, besides the uh, him going directly to Luthor after Turpin uh, accosts uh, Lois in in the street, and the explosion happens where the, you know, the the resistance is stealing the kryptonite that they're hoping to use against Superman. Uh, it's weird how they just they break into the ground floor of this building and then. Somehow they get this chunk of kryptonite. It's like, wouldn't that be a little bit more heavily guarded? Yeah, I mean, and why is it even... Well, I guess Luthor could possibly have kryptonite stored around the city just in case. But, yeah, definitely it should be, like, 20 stories underground, buried in, like, you know, 1,000 pounds of lead, so Superman doesn't even know it's there. It shouldn't be just, hey, look what I found, guys, a basketball-sized chunk of kryptonite. Let's go play hoops. I, well, just... I mean, it was it was in a Lex Labs building, so I can I can kind of excuse that, but, but like, just it being right there mm-hmm. where they can break in on the first floor of this, this laboratory is just like, what? No. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I... I gotta take off maybe a half point for that because it's just so stupid. It is, it is. Um, but you know, th- this episode has little things that I think I don't want to say make up for the bad, but they help out the episode a little. I mean, like when Lois sees Angela Chen, Angela's like, "Watch where you're going, you stupid tarts!" And then Lois is able to get away, and Angela starts biting Mercy's leg. <laughs> like, why was Angela eating Mercy's leg? It's just so random that it's it's instantly hilarious. I mean, it doesn't make sense at all, but whatever, there you go. And it just sort of makes you chuckle in this episode that is kind of dark. Um, to, you know, this, this world isn't all that different from the uh, d- dystopic 1985 from Back to the Future 2. That, that's sort of what this alternate reality is like. Well, how about, uh, here's a question I have. What happened to Lois's martial arts prowess? Hmm. Uh, Shouldn't she have been able to handle Mercy a little bit? She did kind of dropkick Mercy at the end. Dropkick her? She just, she kind of throws her over, like, somersault-ish. No, no, she, at the end. When did she dropkick her? 
Well, not quite a drop kick. It was more like a, a baseball slide type kick thing. Oh, oh, okay. In, that, in Alexa's yeah. office right at the end before the mob jumps on Mercy and murders her. I mean, because you know that's yeah. what happens off camera. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Luthor dies, Mercy dies. Which actually brings me to my next point. Uh, I think it's kind of odd that in this story, uh, Superman causes Luthor to die. Mm-hmm. And that causes Superman... It, that puts him on the road to stop being the, the fascist Superman that everybody thinks he is and basically try to bring Metropolis back to how it was. But in Justice League, in A Better World, when Superman kills Luthor, that puts him on the road to starting worldwide fascism and martial law. I thought it was kind of strange, but you know, kind of interesting, too. This episode very much is a precursor to not only Legacy, the one where uh, Darkseid uh, brainwashes Superman, Mm-hmm. But also um, the Justice Lord stuff. This yes. this very much served as pretty much the template for that kind of fascist badass Superman. Um, now, see, my biggest gripe with this episode is I do not believe that Superman and Luthor would let a city get this gloomy if those two were in charge. I don't see the city getting this run down. I don't understand why everything's in shambles. I understand why the people are feeling repressed, because they are. But mm-hmm. I don't understand why it, it just looks like, again, that, that 1985 that we saw in Back to the Future 2, the one that Biff had control of. I don't, I don't get that. I mean, can you explain to me how these two people who, when they put their minds and and power together, wouldn't be able to create, like, a perfect orderly city? Can can you please explain that to me? Not at all, because it makes no sense, especially because Luthor is supposed to be, you know, this guy who donates billions of dollars to charity Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. There's no way they would let it become this just dystopia. Yeah, I, I really don't get why all of a sudden it's like, oh, Lois Lane's dead? Okay, I can just come out of the closet and be a full-on villain. I, I, I don't get that. And I know this is a nitpick, but I'm going to bring it up anyways. What happened to the government? I mean, did these guys really take over the whole country, the whole world? I know I kind of said maybe they did earlier, but I would have liked to have seen that addressed. Because I don't see Metropolis, which is supposed to be one of the biggest cities in you know the DC universe... Just going to hell like this, Superman going rogue and joining up with Luthor, who's full-on villain at this point, and the government just not stepping in and doing anything. Where's the military presence? I just, I mean, this this episode, there's, it's, it's, I think it's a good Lois Lane story, because it, you know, we get to see her. We don't get to see her all that often in a leading role. She's often just sort of like falling out of a building or whatever. Um, but here we get to see that. I, I like that. And I think the idea behind it, you know, is very cool. What if Superman lost Lois? What if he became fascist? Um, but it just, it was missing something. It was missing a lot. Well, I mean, that's why I, I, you know, that's why my grade is a lot lower than, you know, I think I originally came into when I, before I watched this episode again, I was thinking, wow, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be <laughs> what happens if Superman really goes rogue and just fucks everything up but you know it was it was slightly disappointing on several levels i have to say but it, it's just because there were there were some plot holes and there was you know just some little things that were just like what no mm-hmm. so it's it, i'm not going to give it like a bad grade but i'm just saying it's it's lower than i was 
thinking I was going to grade it. Right. I, I'm right there with you. I, I was like, when I saw the what we had coming up, I was like, oh, oh, yeah, 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 that, that'll be cool. And then I was like, oh, okay, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great either, you know. To, to be honest, though, it's it's better than a lot of the episodes we've been reviewing lately. Because yeah. we've kind of had a run, these last two episodes of World's Finest Podcast, of some kind of <laughs> not-so-great episodes. So this is better than <laughs> Shall that. Shall we say. And I think we have some ones coming up later in this episode that really start to pick up again as we lead into the three-part World's Finest. Oh, um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, this one's just sort of, I don't know, it's it's sort of there, I guess, is the best way I can I can kind of put it. Um, but again, I, you know, like I said, I, I gripe about it, you gripe about it, but it's got little things. I mentioned it earlier, Angela biting Mercy's leg. Uh, can I borrow a dollar? Yeah. Oh, that was great. Where she's like, Lois, Lois Lane, is that really you? Can I have a dollar? <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> but then there's that scene where Superman reveals to Lois why he did all this. Cause he lost her because he never said, I love you. And she just cracks him. She's like, why didn't you tell me? And Which like, should have broken her hand, but... Right, but uh, you have to understand... I'll Superman let this slide. Superman probably rolled with it, you know what I'm saying? But <laughs> it was like... Like, that is such a cool moment. Just Lois just, like, letting it all out, saying... Basically, she's saying, how dare you use this as an excuse? She doesn't want to be the reason Superman went this way. Is really mm-hmm. what it is. So I like seeing her act out against him. Um, I liked the uh, the Hall of Justice... Did you catch that? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, it's real early on in the episode. Once we get into the alternate reality, we see the old school Justice League Hall of Justice, but it's got the brand new Superman logo on it with a kind of lightning bolt. Oh, right, right. And yeah. I was like, that's cool. They're going to take some kind of cheesy, iconic image from like the 60s and 70s, and they're <laughs> going to turn it into this very dark you know, foreboding thing. It's like a complete 180 on the design on what that building's supposed to mean. And I guess, I guess the last thing I want to say about this one, and this is a big gripe is I don't know if I would believe that Superman was so blind to what was going on. I mean, when Lois starts taking him around showing him the holding cells, he's like, I had no idea. I was trying to help people. How did it get this bad? Uh, 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 uh. I mean, I know Superman was hurting, but there's no way he, I mean, he's, if when he flies down the street, he's got to see how it's, torn up the yeah, exactly. are, depressed everything is. And he doesn't notice what's going on, even if he didn't know that Luthor had these jails and holding cells and all this and that and the children were being taken to orphanages and whatever he could still see the shape the city is in and it's it, it it's asinine to think that big blue would just go so blind like that oh um, well, i don't know we've seen him be pretty stupid in the in a few episodes <laughs> that is true but this is like a whole new level of stupidity i feel I didn't know she was this power hungry. <laughs> is it really stupider than that? Ooh, yeah, it is because I mean, well, no, no, because that's an incontinuity, Superman. So, yeah, I guess I had. I'm sorry, I just had to bring that up again. No, you're right. You're right because you could chalk this up to being an alternate reality Superman. So maybe he's not as bright as the incontinuity Superman. <laughs> so 
yeah, I guess I didn't realize she was so power hungry is still stupider than him being totally blind <laughs> in this. Um, but I, I know I said that would be the last thing I'd say, but I do got to add one more thing. I was looking at my notes and I forgot about this. How cruel was it of Lois to give emo Superman one more kiss before running back to her reality? <laughs> I thought that was very cruel. I know it was supposed to be this passionate thing. Oh, Lois and Superman are kissing for the first time, even though it's an alternate Superman, so it really doesn't count. But come on. He lost her once. She got blown up by Intergang. And then he's like, I didn't think I'd lose you once, more or less twice. And then she's like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And then runs away into the arms of her Superman. Like, come on, that was a douchey thing to do. What are those things? Bacteria. They must have been trapped in the jars with a meteor gas. The exposure to our atmosphere somehow caused this tremendous growth. Oh, good heavens. Titano. Next up today is monkey fun. In this episode, it turns out that when Lois was a little girl, probably about eight years old, I think it actually says she's eight years old, um, she was kind of the um, foster mother, we'll say, of a monkey that was going to go into space. It was a test pilot, so to speak. And this monkey's name was Titano. And uh, she's, she's, as a youth, she's sad to see it go because she fell deeply in love with it. And it goes up into space. And while it's up there, it looks like the uh, rocket is lost. Uh, the, the gyro's got a control or whatever, and the rocket disappears from NASA screens. And everybody's sad. Um, 20 years later, Superman is in space and he's punching asteroids, um, in outer space, of course, because that's where asteroids are. Um, but anyways, <laughs> the reason he's doing that is because there's this huge asteroid storm coming towards a space station. And one of the asteroids he's about to punch, he notices that there's like a space capsule in it. So he investigates, and it's Titano. It's been 20 years, but this monkey seemingly hasn't aged or, surprisingly, I don't know, died. Well, when they get it back to Earth, it's it's the only thing that's noticeably changed about the monkey is he's the same size, but his mass has doubled, which is very odd. And, uh, Professor Hamilton can't quite figure this out. Well, Lois, she's like she, she comes running, and she's like, Titano! And she's happy, and he's happy, because he was uh, pretty lethargic. I mean, he's been in space for 20 years so of course he's going to be lethargic so um they say hey lois this is the first time he's really perked up since he's been uh back on earth you know why doesn't he stay with you since he seems to enjoy your company she's like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. i'm a career woman i can't have a monkey well i mean this this is a huge burden on her life i mean she's a very busy career woman and this monkey's making a mess of her apartment Jimmy comes over, and she's like, hey, Jimmy, can you watch the monkey for me? Because I haven't been outside at all in the last couple of days. So while Jimmy's watching the monkey, it starts to glow blue, and it doubles in size. And then this happens again and again, and it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, It doesn't quite get to King Kong size, but it gets pretty damn big. And this, of course, leads to a problem that Superman, of course, has to solve. And, you know, this this isn't something, this isn't a monster per se. He just can't go and punch it in the face, though he does kind of hit it a few times um, and, and beat it up and be done with it. It's not something he can throw in a lake and freeze and then leave there, question mark, forever. Um, <laughs> you know, so they have to kind of find a peaceful resolution because this, this monkey didn't do anything wrong. It's just doing monkey things. It's just too big. You know, it's, it's wreaking havoc because of its size. So at the end of the day, 
they end up bringing the monkey to an uninhabited island. And uh, there it serves as the protector of all the monkeys on the island. And it gets to live happily ever after. So, the end. Yes, thoughts about this one? Um, it, I thought of the Promethean when I watched this episode. Yeah. It's just... It's just there. It wouldn't have mattered if you never saw this episode. It has no, cause it has no continuity within the series at all. Right. And, and there's no big supervillain threat. Luthor doesn't show up. It's, it's really just seems to be an homage to King Kong, period, end of story. That, that's pretty much what it is. However, I like this one and I'll tell you why. It's because this is that fun episode. You know, we talk about this from time to time. That episode you can just sort of sit down and you're just watching it to enjoy it. You're not watching to analyze it, to get any deep continuity, to look for any trivia. Though there is, I mean, Beppo appears, of course, so in the form of Lois Lane's and Owl. Um, You know, you're not looking for any of that. You really can just throw this in and be like, ha, 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 Superman's fighting a monkey. That's funny. You know, (laughs) you're right. It's not great, but it's a fun one. And I appreciate it on that level. The other thing I like about this episode is this is the second one in a row that is a pretty solid, I think, Lois Lane episode. We had the last one, Brave New Metropolis, and this one. These two in a row are all about her. Now, granted, Brave New Metropolis wasn't great, and I do think this one was better than it. Um, But I, I like getting to see these Lois episodes. We're getting a breather from Superman. I, I yeah. like when they focus on his supporting cast, especially Lois Lane, because she's such a huge part of the Superman mythos. So it makes sense to to get to see her from time to time. And, you know, I, I like that we get a little glimpse into her past. We get to see that her father was uh, in the Air Force. Um, you know, we get to see... We I think this is the first time we see Lois's sister, too, isn't it? Yeah, Lucy. Lucy. Yeah. Um, I love that joke, too, when they're trying to take uh, Titano away. Oh yeah. And they're like, can't you take Lucy? And Lucy's like, I want to go into space. That it was so cute. She's just this little girl. You know, she doesn't understand the dangers that are associated with space travel. Um, though the episode would have been insanely funnier if they did send Lucy up and then she came back as a giant woman or something. <laughs> oh, there, there's our our origin for Giganta right there. <laughs> now, my my biggest gripe with this one though is, do they ever explain why Titano's growing? I know something about uh, an alien gas or bacteria or something, but I'm not entirely sure what was going on with that. Um, as far as I, I could tell, it was just this bacteria was all inside these, uh, in this meteor, in this meteor storm, and it got inside the capsule where Titano was sleeping, and it just, I guess it was, it laid dormant on him, uh, as he came back to Earth. And then once it hit our atmosphere, it started, it, it like energized it and it started to make Titano grow. And it, and you noticed in the uh, laboratory, it started attacking the, uh, the scientists there. Right. Yeah. Cause they got really big and then they jumped on Superman and yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I, I didn't, I must not have caught that. Um, cause I didn't take a whole hell of a lot of notes on this one. No. Cause like I said, I mean, it's, it's, it's Superman in a month. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously, just watch it and you laugh, you know? Um, but I gotta say that the one time that Superman really does hit Titano, I'm like, dude, that's a monkey. You can't hit him. Stop he was it. pissed. <laughs> that monkey's going down or whatever the <laughs> hell he said. I mean, yeah. Uh, what else do you have to say about this one? I don't really have many feelings about this episode one way or another to tell you the truth. It's, 
it's not a great episode, but it's not bad. It's just, it seems to me like it was just a filler episode. And that, uh, I mean, I'm glad we got a little bit of backstory on Lois Lane, but uh, it's, it just seems to me like this is just an average episode. Now, I have a question, speaking of uh, Lois's backstory. We get to see Lois's father, and uh, she is at the, she's in the control room with him, Lois is, when the, the rocket's about to launch. And uh, uh, after the everything goes awry, or maybe it's right beforehand, I don't quite remember, uh, another uh, higher-ranking officer than Lois's father comes walking up. Is that Hardcastle? I don't think so. The voice was different, but... The design wasn't that far off from Hardcastle if you were to subtract 20 years from it. Hmm. So yeah, that's I, something I, don't I have know to go back and look at. Because they just refer to him as General. I do not believe they ever say his name. But I don't know. It really made me think it was Hardcastle. It very well could have I, been. I just don't think it was. But, you know, again, that's just be one of those things I go back and look at. Okay. And I, I like the little trivia bit they throw in here because they give you Lois's age. Yeah. They flat out say in the flash, or not the flashback, but the, you know, I guess the flashback, she's eight years old. And then they say 20 years later. So Lois is only 28 in this episode. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting because in my mind, Lois and Clark are like real early 30s, maybe 35. So to find out that Lois is, hell, you know, younger than me is a little weird, <laughs> I thought. Um I don't know. I don't, I don't know. What, what, do you have thoughts on that? Um, Feeling this character's age? Because it's not something you generally do in a cartoon. We never find out how, how old Bruce Wayne is. Nope. We know how old he was when his parents died, but never explicitly say it's been X many years since then. So, oh, you can do the math and he's 37. So Right. Yeah. Um, that's that's really what uh, the, the only reason I think this episode was made, because it was it it served to give her age and give her a, a minute amount of backstory. Mm-hmm. Uh, because other than that, see, I, I don't know, I just, this episode doesn't really do it for me. It's just... Ah, oh, see, I like this. Well, see, I, and, you yeah, know, that's great. I mean, if, if you can enjoy it, that's awesome, but it's just not my cup of tea. Okay. It's just gotcha. just average for me. Yeah. But not bad at all. It's it's not a bad episode by any stretch. No, I, I think the animation is pretty good. I, I liked uh the the growth effect on the monkey you know he's got the blue shimmer around him and then he just doubles in size sometimes triples and quadruples in size um i think they did a good job of not making him a monster cuz it could have went overboard and had him i don't With know start glowing red eyes and bullshit right, like that right yeah they really could have mutated him and all they did was make him grow and yeah he got a little angrier but that's because he didn't know what was going on, and people were chasing him, and this guy's flying at him and punching him in the face. And I mean, he, you could see he still just wanted to be a monkey because he goes to the to the docks and he finds just a a giant crate of bananas, and he just gobbles them all down. Um, you know, so I, I really I do appreciate that fact that they're like, no, he's still a monkey at heart. He's not an evil, mutated, glowing eyed, fire breathing. He's a gigantic Mojo Jojo. Yeah, I mean, exactly. They didn't do anything wonky with him besides make him grow. Um, But speaking of the time when he's at the docks, oh, my God, I love when Bibbo. (laughs) Yes, that was one of my favorite. Cracks him with the newspaper. Um, (laughs) Bad monkey. Yeah, bad monkey. That's right. That is like a bad monkey. (laughs) And he he calls him Cheetah, too. I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Listeners are like, who's Cheetah? (laughs) 
<laughs> getting back to the funny stuff, uh, um, you sure it's in there? Yes, I'm sure, so shut up and keep squeezing the monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Meanwhile, Ian is listening to this and hurrying, hurriedly, uh, keep uh, recording it for his <laughs> next uh, little segment he'll send us. <laughs> You know, as, as much as I like this episode, there were some corny jokes that I didn't like. Uh, specifically, when Jimmy's running out of Lois's apartment, <sighs> and he slips on a banana peel and falls out off the roof. And it's yeah. like, really? a banana? I mean, I know it's a monkey episode. I know it's a cliched joke. But that's the thing. It's a cliched joke. I mean, he could have very easily just fallen off the balcony because he was looking over his shoulder and didn't see where he was going. I just, I just don't like the banana peel joke. I can't stand it. Um, so that kind of got under my skin. I mean, I'm not taking points off because of it. It's just one of those things where it's like, eh, they could have come up with something a little better, I guess, you know, yeah. uh, but anyways, what about, uh, Lois Lane getting a massage? Ooh, yeah. And a <laughs> towel that was just barely covering up, uh, you know, <laughs> Yeah, that was a little uh risque. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll say that. <laughs> it was. It really was though. I mean, mm-hmm. all joking aside, put uh Lois Lane in a in a very 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 small bath towel that leaves little to the imagination mm-hmm. in a quote-unquote kids cartoon. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. They know parents are watching, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but getting back to the corny jokes that I didn't quite like, there was another one where um, Titano kind of backhanded Superman, and Superman uh, fell, because they're at, they're at a... Uh, oh, yeah. ...or something. <laughs> and he fell into one of those strength test games, and, of course, the little weight thing goes up, hits the bell, falls off, and clunks on Superman's head and dings. And it's like... Sigh. You know, I mean, I didn't mind him hitting the strength test game. I didn't even mind the little weight thing going up and hitting the bell, but it falling off and clunking him on the head. I don't know. It seemed. I'm gonna, this is going to sound so weird since we're talking about a cartoon that features an alien that is saving the world from a giant mutating monkey, but it seemed a little too cartoony. It really did. I mean,. You can do comedy in Superman without going corny, and it went corny here. And I'm not a big fan of corny humor. I mean, sometimes I am, but uh, it's a know. it's one of those once in a once in a blue moon kind of things. Right? Okay. Yeah. It's right. If they had done just the banana peel or just the strength test game, I think I would have said, okay, they just did it once. But they did two corny jokes. And well, and then he go cra- he goes crashing into a house of mirrors too. Yeah, and then right. he, you, know, you see his engorged head in the mirror, yeah. and it's just like, eh. yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing I thought was really cute and oddly touching was when because uh, they they they're able to calm Titano down because uh, Lois takes because uh, the whole thing is that when Lois was young she had that Beppo doll the Beppo the monkey, and it played a little song, and that would calm the monkey down. And she, you know, she puts the microphone, when they're at the carnival or whatever, she puts the microphone in front of the doll and plays the song of the speaker, and the monkey finds Lois and just stands there watching the doll as she's dancing with it. And then they, they gas it, remember? They, they bring in helicopters and they, they trank the, uh, the giant monkey. Well, as it's going to sleep, as it starts falling, Superman actually catches its head and puts it down gently instead of just, instead of just letting the quote-unquote monster just crashed to the ground. I thought it was a real nice thing they added in there that pretty much made up for Superman having hit 
hit him earlier in the episode. Yeah, and and then they have they chain it around his neck mm-hmm. at the to you know to keep with him for the rest of his days on the uh in the uninhabited island. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that too. I love that gag with the panther chasing all the little chimps, and then all of a sudden <laughs> Titano comes over the cliff, and there's this big looming shadow, and the cat just gets the hell out of there. <laughs> I thought that was a good joke. Um, you know, see, see, there's comedy. There's comedy without going overboard with banana peels and whatnot. Um, I think yeah. the last thing I want to bring up, and call it a nitpick if you will, but I think it needs to be brought up. During the flashback scene, when Lois and her father and everybody, they're watching the rocket go into space. They're watching, they're looking at all these monitors as the rocket is doing whatever it does, actually in outer space. Where are those cameras? Good call. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not like it's still, a, it's not like it's still in the Earth's atmosphere and they're watching, you know, Earthborn camera or earth mounted cameras or whatever the phrase is that I'm looking for or it's or they're watching the news or something I mean it's clearly in space where are those cameras I, I I don't know I think it would have been cool if they were a little ambiguous about it like they just had audio and they're they're losing contact with Titano and you, you yeah. hear him kind of squawking because he's nervous and then it just cuts out, and you don't know what, and they don't know what happened. They're like, "Sir, we lost contact with the rocket." Jump forward twenty years, and Superman finds it. And I think that would have worked a little better, or just as well, than having cameras mounted somewhere. in the vast emptiness of space. Who's there? Again, Lex Luthor. Brainiac. In the flesh, so to speak, I managed to survive your betrayal by downloading into these computers. They control the Sky Sentry. Yes, I needed a way of attracting your attention. There's always email. Actually, I wanted to greet you in person, but as you can see, I'm not myself yet. So far, I've used these drones, but they're far too primitive to finish the job. For that, I need your hands and your brilliance. You flatter me, Brainiac, but I already have a day job. I'm the head of the world's largest multinational corporation. Don't you think someone will notice I'm missing? No one's irreplaceable. Miss Graves, I'm still pursuing my investigation. Cancel my appointments for tomorrow and no phone calls until you hear from me. Understood? Yes, sir. Shall we get to work? Next up is Ghost in the Machine. Uh, in this episode, Lex Luthor has developed uh, this brand new state-of-the-art magnetic weapon capable of basically bringing down any missile uh, by screwing up their guidance systems. Uh, and he brings the press and the military to LexCorp to show them firsthand just how awesome this thing is. 
And uh, to prove it, he tells everybody there that he's arranged for two Sidewinder missiles to be directly fired at LexCorp. Everyone panics, of course, uh, because you've got this missile you know, hurtling towards LexCorp with all these people there. Um, and Lu- but Luthor uh, tells them to calm down. And, uh, as the missiles start uh, coming closer and closer, he uh, tells this scientist lackey guy to activate the machine, but... It immediately fails, and everybody's just, at this point, everybody's just going nuts. Nobody knows what to do. Everybody's trying to run away. Clark, you know, quickly zooms away, changes to Superman, and gets rid of the missiles and, you know, hurls them into the ocean while Luthor is hurriedly getting away from the uh, press and the military just to save himself even more embarrassment. Um, and Mercy, you know, Mercy's there, and she says that she'll go, you know, try and figure out what, you know, what the hell happened to the the Sky Sentry, which is the name of this magnetic weapons system. Um, and Luthor just says, no, I want to do this myself. And he goes off into his office just to, you know, investigate it. And this, while he's investigating, he receives this really strange message from someone claiming to know why his weapon malfunctioned. And Luthor very hesitantly goes uh, where the messenger tells him to, and there he finds out it was none other than Brainiac. Dun, dun. And, yeah, <laughs> as we remember from the last Brainiac episode, he was basically, you know, he was dormant in Luthor's computer system all this time. Uh, and he, what he's doing is he's forcing Luthor to build him a new body while keeping Mercy unaware of Luthor's absence. Now, in the meantime, Superman, in the guise of Clark Kent, is investigating LexCorp for the Daily Planet. And while he's inside, uh, the building, he, you know, he, he's talking to this, uh, Basically yelling at the secretary about why, where is he? You know, he he has to he needs to answer to this uh, corporate sabotage or whatever the hell's going on, and the secretary tells him he's not here. He's he's busy or you know, he's in his office. He's busy and can't be disturbed. And he uses X-ray vision to see that Luthor isn't in his office at all. And Mercy, who's also in this room, uh, tries to get him to leave, but you know Clark avoids her roundhouse kick or whatever the hell she throws at him. And go, burst into the office, and of course, Luthor is not there. Mercy is surprised as hell because she thought he was in there this whole time, but, you know, Brainiac's been fooling her. Mercy finally gets, you know, Clark to leave, but, uh, though that night, somebody fires a rocket at Clark Kent's apartment. And, you know, he, of course, you know, is fine, it blows up, but he gets it out of the building and he's up in the sky where it blows up, so. He returns to LexCorp in, in his Superman uh, attire and saves Mercy from a group of Brainiac's droids uh, because now Mercy is really deep into the security system trying to figure out where the hell Luthor is. Uh, so he saves Mercy and you know they have to team up to find out where Luthor is and find out who kidnapped him or if he was kidnapped at all. And... That's about it, and of course, throughout this episode, we understand that you know this is Mercy's story. She's really the backbone of this entire episode, and we'll get into that shortly. And uh, yeah, this is arguably the most important episode in the entire DC animated universe. Absolutely, and the thing is, at the time, it was just a Brainiac episode. Mm-hmm. But several years later, they made it mean so much more. I mean. For our listeners who don't know, James, why don't you explain what we're talking about? Yeah, I mean, this, when Brainiac shoots Luthor, that one ev- little event right there literally sets up 
everything Lex Luthor ever does for the rest of the DCAU timeline. Everything. Uh, you know, he shoots him point blank, which, you know, logically should have killed him, but it doesn't. It just kind of knocks him unconscious. And we find out way, 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 way down the road in Justice League that it was never intended to kill Luthor. It was merely a beam that sent uh, a holistic copy of Brainiac's programming into Luthor's nervous system. And for years and years and years, it just subtly influences his actions uh, until Brainiac uh, reappears in Justice League Unlimited and does something that's quite frankly beyond description. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. So, yeah, this this one episode here... You know, pretty much sets up the rest of the DCAU uh, in terms of Luthor for you know for the rest of time. Yeah, I, that's one of these things that the producers were so good at was they, they didn't have everything planned out. They didn't know that five six years down the line in the Justice League they were going to come back to this. But what they could do was look back at what they had already done and said, okay, how can we build on that? How could we make this one moment? that seemed like just Luthor getting blasted by Brainiac, nothing overly important, and turn that into something that is majorly important. I mean, they do this all the time throughout the rest of the series. They take little things and just make them bigger and bigger and bigger. They just snowball them until... It's, it's just it's just mind-blowing how, how they did this, how they came up mm-hmm. with this entire universe just out of this like one little instance is what I'm trying to say. Basically, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, what are your overall thoughts? You know, I mean, I, I love this episode. I, I absolutely Oh, God, do. yes. Um, as you said, it's a Mercy episode, uh, because we get hints of her feelings for Lex. Um, there's several times where she kind of gently touches him. There's some subtle flirting between the two, some innuendo here and there. Um, and there's the whole thing with her and Superman at the end where he says, uh, what's, what's he call her? He calls her, like, you're first with a dog, doesn't he? Like, you're... Yeah, he, he just says, just a stray. That's how the episode ends. Right, yeah, yeah. And, you know, because the whole thing is she, of course, you know, she, she's always there for Luthor, and the moment Luthor, she needs Luthor, Luthor turns his back on her, literally, and leaves her to fend for herself, and by the end, she's still working for him, and, you know, she she's humbled. Um because it shows her that this man really doesn't care for her, despite how she feels for him. So, you know, it's got this great mercy stuff, but it's also a Lex Luthor episode, because, you know, he's sitting there building Brainiac. We get to see a little bit of him when he's at his worst, or at least his worst so far, because he will fall deeper, you know, sometime later on, thanks to this again. Um, Because I like that moment when... He's yelling, like, he's slowing down, and Brainiac's like, why are you slowing? And he's like, I'm human. I need rest. I need food. He's like, well, there's no time for rest, but I can get you food. And one of the robots breaks open the vending machine, and Luthor starts gorging on all the candy bars, and he sees in one of the shards of glass his reflection. And he's got stubble. He's got bags under his eyes. I mean, this dude's worn out. He's been up for a couple of days nonstop, and he just looks away ashamed. And you never see Luthor ashamed of himself. Yeah, because this guy's the most arrogant person in the entire DCAU. Right, exactly. I mean, earlier on, we saw him embarrassed by the failure of his uh, by his weapon system, but he wasn't necessarily ashamed. He was just pissed off. Here, he can't even look at his own reflection. I mean, there's 
again, I, I say it all the time, but that's just great storytelling. There's no dialogue that goes along with it. There's no interior uh, uh, inner monologue or anything like that. He just turns away like, oh, or, or looks down or whatever he does. He just can't stand what he's seeing. But he also can't get away. He is trapped by Brainiac and Brainiac's robots. And the one time he does try to get away, that's when Brainiac does blast them. And we know what happens from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, and- this really isn't a Superman episode at all. It's all about Mercy, Lex, and Brainiac. Superman's yeah. just there because it's a Superman cartoon. Well, and I have to, I have to say that I loved how they portrayed Clark Kent in this episode with him being the roving reporter mm-hmm. and bursting into LexCorp and just basically throwing himself around, uh, bullying his way into the, into the room. It was really, really cool. You don't see that from Clark Kent very often because he's, you know, the mild mannered reporter. But now here, here he is. He's just yelling at the secretary, yelling at Mercy. It's like, what, what game are you trying to pull here? Yeah. And just, you know, it, it was really, really cool. I think it was just a little bit of Superman leaking into Clark Kent's persona, so to, so to speak. But yeah, God, you have to feel sorry for Mercy. I mean, poor woman is she's deeply in love with Luthor and would do anything for him. But you know, you know, nothing is ever going to come of it because Luthor is you know just such a self-centered bastard. Uh, he leaves her to die, and it's you know even from the very beginning of the episode, you can tell that. Uh, he blames Mercy for the Sky Sentry failure, even though he doesn't explicitly right, say yeah, it. The way because he goes off, yeah, he just goes off and says, uh, you know, he wants to work on it alone. And it's like, wow, dude, she yeah, didn't do like, that. She's your bodyguard? She had nothing to do with the science end of anything ever in her life. Like, if she, in, in grade school, if she put together, you know, like one of those paper mache volcanoes, I'd be surprised, you know, she beats people up. She yeah. doesn't do science. Um, but speaking of the sky century, is that the same cannon that is attempted to use to destroy Amazo? It looked like it. I mean, it looked exactly like it. Because what's that episode called? The Return? The Return, yeah. Yeah. This one's double-barreled. Is the one in The Return also double-barreled? Yes, yes, it is. Okay. Then I'm really thinking that what were they trying to do with that gun? Was it just going to create an energy discharge, or was it supposed to be a magnetic gun? I'm talking in the return, not in Ghost in the Machine. Oh, in uh, the return, it was supposed to disassemble the nano machines that composed uh, Amazo's body, but by that time, he had advanced beyond his nanotechnology, so it failed miserably. Yes, and technically speaking, I guess this Sky Sentry could have done that if tweaked a little, so yep. it is supposed to be the same gun. Again, if it is, that's just great continuity. Them looking back at what they've already created and going, there you go, let's use this. Yeah, I mean, and because if you remember Adam, when he's talking to Luthor in that episode, he uh, uh, says that, uh, you know, he has the plans to the gun in his, you know, miniaturized, and then he makes it grow, and he says, oh, well, now they've been unclassified by the jail, uh, JLA, <laughs> or j- whatever he says. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, they have the plans for this Sky Sentry machine somehow yeah i guess when uh, luthor got arrested in the original justice league series there they took the his plans or something <laughs> for some reason <laughs> i don't know but yeah it, it looks it looks like the exact same gun okay okay that's cool like i said I, I love when they do that um i'm sorry i've been going on what do you have to say um well there's just, uh, there's also some some little things i i kind of chuckle at here um Lois's line after Luthor's gun fails. 
what was what's wrong, Luthor? Premature product launch? <laughs> yeah. Another uh, another little sexual joke there, but <laughs> yeah, there was one earlier too between Mercy and Lex, and I can't remember it. I, I had mentioned that there was some sexual innuendos between them, but shoot, she makes a joke. Oh, she, how she'd never let Lex get off half cocked. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, no, 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 semi hard. Yeah, Just, it's it's full on. Like wow, wow, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, it was great how she pulls the lint off of his jacket too. Yeah. Like, uh-uh. <laughs> Just pulls yeah. it off and lets him go. Yeah, not just his bodyguard, you know, is 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 basically his mommy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh man, but I think my maybe my favorite uh, comedic sort of line in this entire episode though was when uh, uh, Lois and Clark are in the car and they're driving along, and Lois is like, "Who'd want to destroy Luthor?" And then Clark <laughs> just give gives her this look like, "Huh?" Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, "Oh, well, yeah, but who'd be crazy enough to try?" Yeah. Just the look on Clark's face. He didn't say a word. It's just this, like, people's eyebrow look. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, I love silent gags when characters are just so dumbfounded that they just can't even say anything. And mm-hmm. to see Clark Kent do that, it's, it's funny because we know that's Superman. That's, that's not Clark doing it. That's legit Superman doing yeah. it. That's what makes it so much funny. But personally, my favorite Lois Clark moment is when, um, their Clark, uh, Lois says something like, she's talking about how Mercy obviously loves Lex. And Clark, and, and Lois is like, she's always hanging around him. And Clark's like, um, yeah, that's her job. <laughs> yeah. And, and Lois is simply like, it's no wonder you're, you're still single, Smallville. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, that was a great little mini dialogue there. Mm-hmm. I mean, those two, they really do have some good interactions. I mean, it's such, a testament to the writing and to the voice actors. What, what I love is we've, you know, now that we're in, how many episodes of Superman have we reviewed at this point? Uh, I think we're about into 20, what about 20, I think this is about the 27th episode or so. Okay, so, there you go, somewhere about there. And throughout the time, we've started to see Lois start to respect Clark as a reporter more and more. Mm-hmm. You know, in those first episodes, she was ditching him every chance she got, and now they're driving to to scenes together. They're they're having jokey time. There was the one episode, uh, a little piece of home, where she where he's a you know she thinks Clark is sick, and she orders him chicken soup and orange juice. She's taking care of him, mm-hmm. so we can see that their friendship is blossoming. She's starting to actually respect him. Yeah, she still calls him Smallville, but. You know, that's that's just the nickname she has for him now, and it's not really meant to disrespect It's, it's just a term of so, endearment at this point. Right. But what I would have liked, actually, and this goes back to the last episode, Monkey Fun, is uh, Clark finds out Lois's nickname. What was it? Lolo? Yeah. I would have loved it if that would have popped up, just from time to time. Anytime she called him Smallville, he was like, okay, Lolo. And everybody else around them was just like, Lolo? Because they don't know what it means. <laughs> it just would have been one of those funny little things. I mean, the, the series as as a whole isn't hurt because it wasn't there, but it would have been one of those things that would have been a nice little bit that they could have thrown in to, again, show you how the relationship is growing, that Clark can actually joke back with Lois. Yeah. But the raised eyebrow was joking back enough <laughs> oh god yes before i get to the animation which was just fantastic wire to wire yeah. um i do have a two gripes one's kind of minor one's a little bit bigger the little the little gripe i have is uh it's it, and i'm not even sure if it's a gripe it's just something i laughed at the very beginning when 
Lois and Clark are walking through LexCorp, if you pay attention to the foreground and you look at the the military guys that are standing there, they just they they're posing and they're completely still. It's just like they're cardboard cutouts in an Abercrombie window or something. <laughs> I didn't catch that. They just they don't move at all. They're like one guy's got his hand up like and they're they're both laughing. Apparently they're talking about something that's funny, but <laughs> like they're both their mouths are completely still. Their the their bodies aren't moving at all. <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, but the second thing, and this one is my only big gripe with this episode. How the hell does Superman just automatically know how to work the Sky Sentry at the end of the episode? Thank you. That was that was pretty much my only big gripe too. Because you're right, he doesn't just he just starts fiddling with buttons, and all of a sudden it's just boom, blast Brainiac. Yeah, it's not like he just flicks a switch and it works. You're right. He just goes to town on that, entering codes. Like, no, no, come on, no. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. Here's how I'll justify it. When he was Clark Kent and he was on top of the building, when it was being tested, he used his supervision to catch a reflection off the scientist's eyeball that showed him the keying sequence to activate it because he knew he had to memorize that for later on. How's that work for you? Sure, why not? Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Lord. I, I do have a question about the uh, thing that happens at the end between Mercy and Lex. Do they ever come back to that, either between Mercy and Lex, between Superman and Mercy, or is this just something they brought up and then dropped? Because that... Well, I'm sorry, what? You, know, you, you mean specifically how Luthor just leaves her to die? Right. Br- like bringing that, that up in dialogue? In dialogue, like I said, in an exchange between Superman and Mercy, in anything Mercy does, um, maybe she's not quick on the draw when Lex needs her to be. Again, does she ever say anything to Lex? Just just anything, because it seems like it's going to be this big, pivotal moment, because that's how they end the episode, for God's sakes. But is it just I really just don't think it does. Oh, that's a shame, because they could have got some mileage out of that, especially with World's Finest coming up. Yep. I mean... Because Lex needs her a couple of times throughout that episode. Mercy, Mercy comes back and has a pretty big role in the in the Amazo debut in Justice League, but they don't even they don't mention it there, which I thought would have been a perfect place to mention it because Mercy hates Luthor at that point. Mm. So I I don't know, but I don't th- I can't think of any specific moment where it comes back into play in this series. Now, what did you think about how uh, they brought Brainiac back? Um, I felt it was logical. I mean, that's that, what they were building towards there, because you could tell at the end of, uh, and I can't even remember the episode's name. Stolen like, Memories. Stolen Memories, thank you. Uh, you know, they show that you know, the Kryptonian uh, language and all that stuff is flowing through Luthor's computer systems, and the guy says, it'll take, look, this will take years to fix, and Luthor's like, you got two weeks, and it's like, there's no way they got Bra- all of Brainiac out of, their, out of that system. Right. So it, it, I thought it was a perfect way to bring him back. Yeah, I, I loved it. Just the way, you know, they start at his feet, go to his midsection, show his head, and as they're doing it, the Brainiac music is just building up, and then it's just like, uh-oh, dun-dun-dun, there he is! And Luthor is shocked, and just hearing that cold Brainiac voice again, it just kind of sends chills down your spine. And then, I mean, to add insult to injury, not only is this thing in Luthor's computer system, and it has been since you know, since they thought it was destroyed, now he's abducted Luthor to build him a body. It's like, oh, that's, 
that's got to kill Lex inside. His ego can't take it. Right, exactly. I mean, that he, you know, he, he doesn't want to be in a basement building something. He wants to be on top of the world, literally. So being held captive to do someone else's bidding? No, 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 no. It should be the other way around. Um, so mm-hmm. again, it's just more of Lex being humbled. I guess the last thing I'll say about this episode is the animation. Uh, good God, that was some great fucking animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the fight scene with Brainiac, the, uh, where Mercy is fighting the droids in the, in the, uh, computer yeah. room. Just, um, you know, and even the little things, just the, besides the, uh, the, uh, Abercrombie window mannequin, uh, military guys, that's about the only gripe I have with the animation. Everything else was just spot on. Mm-hmm. There's, there's two more things I want to bring up. One is, uh, the, the fake video thing that Brainiac pulls with Luthor. That's the same thing he pulls later on with Bruce Wayne. Yep, in the uh, in the episode where Bruce Wayne just disappears. Right. Okay. I wanted to make sure because I've seen that episode and I like that episode just because you get to see Superman dressed up as Batman, which is like really wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and teaming up with Tim Drake. Yeah, exactly. Um, but there are certain elements of that episode I sometimes forget, and that was one of them. In fact, I was like, wait. Was that a Brainiac episode? <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, no, it, it is a Brainiac episode. He does pull the same thing because that I was thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, because Tim is like, yeah, look at the video. And, Super- and Superman's like, I don't get it. He's like, he's smiling or whatever he said. <laughs> you know? uh, okay, so, again, another thing they went back to. And the other thing I wanted to mention, of course, is that this is another robot alert episode. Well, yeah, Brainiac. Well, that's right. The, the droids, right? Well, I forgot. I was gonna. Droids. I was gonna say. I was just gonna say. Wait, Brainiac. Does Brainiac even count as a robot at this point? But yeah, I forgot about the droids he sends after off after Mercy. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Brainiac is a lot like Data from Star Trek: The Next Generation, in mm-hmm. that he's sentient, but his body is robotic. We can't overlook that. That's true. Um, because it just seems like it's a kind of a given. Every anytime Brainiac shows up, well, yep, robot. Well. I mean, we, we have a robot alert, so we just have to mention mm-hmm. it. I mean, Metallo, same thing. He's sentient, but his body is robotic. You know, do we not count it? No, we count it. We definitely count it. Well, that's in a moot, and like, yeah, it's a moot point in this one anyway, because of the, uh, the little, uh, tripod things that get sent after Mercy. And you know, I forgot one, the, the very last thing I'm going to mention, uh, is one of the just harshest one-liners ever. Do yourself a favor, Miss Graves. Call me when your lord and master turns up. Calabac, uh, you do not have to accept your rejection. I can send you to Earth to destroy Superman. And cover your failure, worm. Well, uh, technically, but if you were to succeed, Darkseid would honor you. You would be his favorite. Yes. It is only right that you claim all the glory for this great deed. Do not even mention that I suggested it. Are you certain? Trust me, Calabac. Darkseid will finally accept you as his son. And lastly today is Father's Day. In this one, uh, uh, what's his face? Darkseid, what's his face? You know, that big guy from that planet with the The fire. big blue guy and his little <laughs> cadre of miscreants. Yes. Um, Darkseid has a uh, robot sent to Earth to test, so of course another robot alert, to test Superman's strength. And uh, 
it, it the, the the machine fails, but it really wasn't meant to succeed, truly. It wasn't meant to destroy him. It was just, as I said, meant to gauge how powerful he is, what type of weapons he could resist, which ones did kind of make him take a step back when they hit him. That's all it was really there for. And uh, Superman destroys the machine. Or does, no, does the machine head back through a boom tube, or does he destroy it? I can't remember. No, it, they self-destruct it. Oh, that's right, that's right, because he has to take it up into the atmosphere, doesn't he? He takes well, it up, into the, up into the sky, yeah. 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 Um, well, anyways, uh, we, we cut back to Apocalypse, and we see Darkseid, Desaad, and Mannheim hanging around talking about this machine and whatnot. And Mannheim's like, send me back. I can put Intergang back together, and we can go after Superman for you, Mr. Darkseid, oh, lord and master. And... Uh, He's like, no, 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 you're not, you're not going. And then out of the, out of the shadows comes Calabac, Darkseid's son. He, he's like, let me go, father. Uh, and he's like, no, the destruction of Superman is too important to entrust to you. Ouch. <laughs> and Calabac's all depressed because he wants to be accepted by his father. And, uh, later on, Desaad tells Calabac, he's like, you know, you don't have to accept your father's ruling. You can go to Earth, and if you should best Superman, you will be in your father's favor. And so Calabac is like, okay, I'll go. And he goes, and he enters you know, the center of Metropolis and starts ripping shit up. Well, the, the main place he starts ripping up is a restaurant. And uh, the reason uh, it's important to bring up that restaurant, though, um, is because... Uh, the, the Kents are there with Lois Lane, so they're put in danger by Calabac's rampage. And when Superman shows up, um, it turns out that only Lois and his mother uh, are actually able to leave. Pa Kent was trapped underneath some rubble. So Superman, you know, he's trying to save his father, but he's also trying to subdue Calabac. And uh, Calabac won't have it. He won't let him save this person. Because according to Calabac, no one is innocent. Um, so if the old man dies, so be it. Uh, Superman, there's a lengthy fight between him and Calabac. And eventually, you know, he does best him and uh, saves his dad. But, 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 the big thing is at the end when Superman uh, uh, has his final showdown with Calabac, Darkseid appears on Earth, actually sets foot on Earth, and he and Superman have their very first meeting. And Darkseid leaves Superman with a very cryptic message. So, uh, yeah, we reviewed four episodes today, and two of them are, like, super important to the whole DC animated universe. This is wild. You know, this episode really, beyond beyond the uh, the meeting between uh, Superman and Darkseid, is just one big intergalactic wrestling match. That is all it is. You're right, yeah. it's There's no, really very little depth to it at all beyond the apocalypse stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. I, th- I I kind of found it odd that uh, the Kents twice practically reveal who Superman is, and nothing ever comes of it. Yeah, I mean, I wrote in my notes, uh, how dim-witted is Lois? Yeah. I mean, there's one point where Ma is like, Clark, look Clark. out! And Lois is like, Clark? Oh, come on. You're like an award-freaking-winning journalist. Figure it out, woman. Uh, and what was the other time when she tells and Superman to be killed? Well, no, it's like Superman flies off to finish off Calabac, who he's just hurled across the city. And Pa Kent's like, or well, Lois says, no matter how many times I see that, I can never get tired of it. And then Pa Kent just says, me neither. Mm-hmm. 
And she just looks at him like, hmm? Like, come on. Yeah, like, come on, Lois. Like, if they're going to drop those clues, they got to say something. You know? Ugh. But whatever. Whatever. But, um, I will say, the way they portrayed Darkseid here is how I wish they would have portrayed Joker in Batman. And by that, I mean, anytime someone sees Darkseid, they cower in fear of their life. Yeah. And rightfully so. Uh, because Darkseid could end your existence with just a blink of his eyes. Uh, and I wish they had taken a similar approach with the Joker, uh, being, you know, being the guy who can just strike fear into your heart just by looking at you. Um, especially because Joker is a far less rational thinker than Darkseid. <laughs> so, you know, I just, I, that's, well, all I'm saying here is I love the way they portrayed Darkseid here. That, that was, this was a great, uh, jumping off point for, uh, the DCAU, uh, a version of Darkseid. It shows you just how cruel this guy is, how completely heartless he is. He doesn't give a shit about anything except conquering everybody in the universe. And, uh, you know, they didn't screw up Michael Ironside's voice this time. No, no. So yeah, it was, it was a really, really good real introduction because, you know, the, when he, when he debuts, it's just he has like two lines and that's it. Yeah, it was just a cameo. Here is his true debut. Mm hmm. And it was, it was, Pulled off very nicely. Yeah, what I enjoyed about it is that, you know, he has, you know, the same strength as Superman, but he doesn't get his hands dirty. He doesn't throw any punches here. He just uses his Omega beams to try to take down Superman. And I love when Superman starts resisting and Darkseid kind of gets a look on his face like, curious, like anybody else would have been dead the instant they touched him, but somehow Superman is surviving this. And I like how he just pours it on and pours it on until Superman just literally falls at his feet. And what does Superman say? Who are you? No, he says, who are you? Is doesn't he or something? What, what's well, he constant. He's like, I asked you a question and then, you know, he's just getting angrier and angrier at dark side who just stands there completely silent. Mm -hmm. And he starts blasting with the Omega beams. And then he finally falls falls down and then dark side is like that's who i am because yeah. what's so cool about this is you know superman just absolutely owns calabac he just whoops that boy's ass but at the okay. end of this episode dark side owns superman really puts him in his place so it was it was real cool because superman gets this great victory he beats up this this alien that was destroying metropolis and then all of a sudden here comes this other alien that's a lot stronger than this other one, as strong, if not stronger, than Superman, and he puts Superman in his place. It's like, whoa, that's real neat. Superman doesn't even get to celebrate with his parents. He's got to go lick his wounds, literally. Mm -hmm. Well, not literally, because he's not going to lick his arms, but no. I mean, he's he, he's got to go nurse his wounds, we'll say. <laughs> yeah, and the you know, and the part even at, even beyond that, after Darkseid says, "That's who I am." He, he lives, like you said, a cri very cryptic message. He's like, uh, when you know, when this is over, you and the Earth will swear allegiance to me, mm -hmm. or you'll be destroyed. Yeah. So yeah, it was a great jumping off point to with Darkseid. Can't complain about that at all. Mm -hmm. Um, here's a question I have: Was that Sid the Squid? No, I thought it was too. <laughs> it's G. Carl Francis, the the copyright fellow from uh, the Laughing Fish. Really? Yeah, okay. that's who it is. Because I, I, first in my notes, I wrote, oh, my God, it's Sid the Squid is the Mater D. I mean, I'm not joking. That's what I wrote. And then I was mm -hmm. like, wait, no, that's not Sid. And I jumped online, and I started, like, doing a quick search of the Batman episodes, 
And as I was doing that, it clicked in my head who it was. And I double checked and I got a picture of, uh, what do you call it? G Carl Francis. And yes, that's now, is it supposed to be the same character? I don't know. It's the same model. It's the same voice actor. So yeah. one can assume it is, but they never outright say that it's G Carl Francis, but no, it's not Sid. The yeah. Yeah. Now that you, now that you say that it does, that's really clicking that they look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So yeah, apparently, you know, G Carl got better. And uh, yeah. moved out of Gotham, and takes up <laughs> and who job. can blame him? Yeah, takes up a job as a mater d and uh, gets you know threatened by an an alien. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> Not safe for Metropolis, sir. You have to move to like you know Ohio or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, you never know. Ohio could be where Central City is, and then you yeah. got Captain Cold to deal with That's and all those true. other nut jobs. So. One of my favorite lines in this one actually came from Pa Kent. When Calabac's destroying the restaurant and everybody's leaving, Pa stands there, and he's like, someone should bring that bruiser down a peg. <laughs> like, yeah. He's seriously going to go give Caliban what for? And then all of a sudden... Caliban? Uh, Calabac, sorry. <laughs> Wrong universe, yeah, sir. exactly, sorry. You know, he, he was going to go tell him what, you know, where to stick it, and then the roof collapses on him. I was like, oh, I was really hoping that Pa Kent would get in his face, sort of like uh, Bippo did with Titano. <laughs> just like whack him with a newspaper or something like you sir calm down <laughs> no. oh man i could just picture him like like i challenge you to a duel <laughs> pistols at 10 paces <laughs> um what did you think of michael dorn wharf for anybody who loves star trek of course playing calabac um i thought it was he was good except i don't i don't think he rep- uh reprises his role in Justice League. Oh, really? It's okay. Because I, when I was listening here, uh, the voice is a lot clearer in Justice League because that's where I I first saw uh, Calabac because I had never seen this episode before hmm. before I watched this, which is kind of weird considering it was the de- real the true debut of Darkseid, but I had never seen this episode before um, before I start I reviewed it, uh, used it to or watched it to review it here. Hmm. Um, and I'll, so I, all I remember of Calabac is all his appearances in Justice League, and his his voice in Justice League is great. Now I don't know if if Dorn does his voice there also, so somebody help me out there. Uh, Let but, me see. You you keep talking, and I'll see if I can pull up Dorn's uh, IMDb page. But here it was, his voice seemed kind of muffled. Huh. It's like it's not as clear as it is in Justice League. It's it's a little bit harder to understand his lines. It's it's not to where I'm having to like wait what did he say what did he say no it's just it's just a little bit uh, I don't know maybe like muffled that's that's really the best word I can come up to describe it I'm looking at his page and it says he does Calabac for five episodes in Superman the animated series and then he does it for five episodes in Justice League okay well then he apparently there you know his voice cleared up a little bit because it's a lot better in Justice League in my opinion yeah I mean he might have been playing it a little different, maybe... I mean, remember, the first time we meet Darkseid, his voice is clearly different. Oh, yeah. So maybe they were doing something uh, to it in the uh, editing room that made it sound the way you're describing here. I don't know. But my feelings are he was the perfect choice. I mean, at this point in in his career, he was known as being Lieutenant Commander Worf. Um, He was perfect for that kind of alien, yet gravelly warrior voice. So why not use him? 
for Calabac. It was inspired casting. Getting back to uh, Darkseid, man, he has some great lines here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he's like, decides to ask him, you sacrificed your uh, Calabac? <laughs> War casualty. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, it's just hardcore. Just, I don't care about anybody but myself. Right. Yeah, I, I, one of the lines I like from him is where he says, uh, as far as destiny and I are concerned, I have no son. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, is a hint at the deal Darkseid and Highfather made. And, of course, yes. we'll get that in um, Apocalypse Now, part one and two. We'll figure out what it is that he's talking about there. But nice, subtle hint as to what was to come, as to what they were going to reveal in the future. Because you could mark it up as him just being a cold bastard, like, I have no son. But, no, mm-hmm. he really means it. Destiny means he has no son because he lost his. This isn't his son. It's just someone he raised because he had to. Did you happen to uh, notice uh, when while Superman and Calabac are fighting, uh, what what Superman does to Calabac uh, when he picks up the cars? No, what's he do? He picks up a car in each hand and then smashes Calabac between them. <laughs> when uh, we get to uh, hereafter in Justice League, Lobo does the exact same thing to Calabac. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh my god, that's cool. Oh. I, when I saw that, I was like, oh no, that's that's awesome. It's the exact same thing that happens to Calabac in Justice League. <laughs> and Lobo does it to him there, yeah. which makes it even funnier. I have to say, though, I really didn't dig the animation here. It just wasn't very fluid. There, It was just uh, choppy, and uh, especially, I, w- I guess I would say especially on Apocalypse. Good lord. It was just... There was no flow to it, hardly at all. Yeah. See, I think that the Clark Kent Daily Planet scenes worked. I think the final scene, the meeting between Superman and Darkseid worked. But the fight animation, I didn't notice anything on Darkseid. Or not on Darkseid, on Apocalypse. I can't comment on that. But uh, the fight animation, I felt, could have been a lot better. A lot better. Um, Yeah. it, It was just something about it was just off can't quite put my Mm -hmm. finger on it maybe you're right maybe it just wasn't fluid enough maybe it was jittery i don't know but yeah not not where it should have been especially for an episode that's this important you think they'd throw their a game at it it's sort of like their a minus game yeah maybe b plus i don't know i haven't taught in a long time so i haven't had to give a grade well now we're getting into semantics here (laughs) (laughs) wait a minute isn't that our job never mind forget i said that (laughs) um well, along those lines, how did Lois automatically know that that thing came from space? She gets onto the phone, and it's like, there's this alien robot thing here. And for all she knew, it could have been Toy Man. Right, yeah. It could have been Toy Man. It could have been something that escaped from Star Labs, you know? I... And that thing, that thing. when I saw that thing, I was like, that is that like the death egg from the Sonic the Hedgehog games? And then I was like, oh, well, it came to Earth. It's really small. I was like, okay, no, it's not. Because that's what it looked like on, on the onset to me. Oh, I'm looking at my notes. I don't know if I have much else to say about this one. I mean, it's just, it's it's a solid episode, I think, that suffers from, you know, some... A variety of things. Yeah, some weak animation in points. But I have to admit that I'm going to boost my grade up at least one point because of how important it is. Same with the, the last episode that we did. 
Mm-hmm. That's because of what it means to the overall universe, not just this series, but the whole flipping universe. It does get an extra point for it. And hell, we've done that plenty of times before. We did it with Vertigo. We did it with um, shit. We did it with Super- another Superman episode. Which one was that? Um, not too long it, ago. Wasn't it Stolen Memories? Was or was it? No, it was. Uh, well, it was the debut of Darkseid, the quote unquote debut of Darkseid. Right. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, it was Tools of the Trade. That's it. Yeah, that's another one we bumped up. I don't remember if you did, but I know I did. Bumped it up a point. Oh yeah, I did. Because of what it meant to everything that we're going to be discussing down the line, I can guarantee you. This this is going to be another one. Um, so unless you have anything else to say, do you want to move on to our scores? Yeah, let's do the scores. Okay, let's me flip back here. First up was Brave New Metropolis. So what do you give this one? I'll give that one a 6.5. Okay, hang on. Oops, sorry, wrote down the wrong number there. And I will give that one a 6. Uh, monkey Fun. I, like I said, it, it was just really average to me. It didn't really do it for me. 5 out of 10. I give that one a 7. It's It's... Like I said, I I almost didn't want to take notes on it because I was having so much fun watching Superman and a monkey. Um, <laughs> Ghost in the Machine. I am so torn on this one. The The only reason – see, I want to give it a perfect score because it is the most important episode in the entire series. But there's that huge just plot hole of Superman just working the Sky Sentry thing because it is a huge plot I hole because you. it ends up stopping Brainiac. I told you, reflection off of eyeballs. He, he saw the reflection off the scientist's eyeballs or eyeglasses, and he knew he'd need that code later. I told you. I explained it. In that case, 10 out of 10. <laughs> is that what you want to give it? Or Yes, actually it is. I'm, okay. it, it's just too it, it's too important an episode to give it anything less. I'm going to give that one a 9, because even though I made up that bit of silliness, it <laughs> is it is a problem. It is something I noticed. Um, but anyways, moving on to Father's Day. Um, I will give that one a seven. I am right there with you. What have you done to him? I asked you a question. Who are you? Answer me! You and this primitive planet will swear allegiance to Darkseid, or you will be destroyed. Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast... <laughs> we'll discuss the three-part epic Superman-Batman crossover, World's Finest. So, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. Woo!